Last Wednesday, we had the homegoing of one of our dear men, Brother Plaz Hayes. I love Brother Plaz. He loved New Rocky Creek. He loved uh, the people. He loved me. And he's with Jesus now. After the service, we made our way over to the cemetery, Hayes Cemetery. I don't know if you know where that's at, over off of 213. Anyway, as we got there to the graveside, uh, I saw a gentleman that I had been praying for for some time. And the Lord moved on my heart to go over to this man and ask him about his relationship with Jesus. I talked with him probably 10 years ago, and he indicated then that he had not time. He did not want Jesus in his life. I was hoping that uh, that had changed. However, after talking with him this past Wednesday, he responded uh, to my question by saying, no, nothing's changed, and it's not going to change. He was very adamant about it. And about that time, one of the family members jumped into the conversation. I suppose they felt a little embarrassed for him. But uh, needless to say, I walked away heavy-hearted question what would you have said to him would you have been ready to talk with him about his relationship with Jesus Christ well I want to tell you there are almost 8 billion people 7.7 billion people in the world today many of them are lost there are about 11 million people we're told in the United States many are lost without God have no hope have no assurance of eternal life. Doesn't that bother you? Doesn't that concern you? And I say many are lost because our Lord Jesus said, wide and broad is the gate that leads to destruction, and many will choose therein. I want to tell you something. I've been thinking about what the Lord has to share today and the message entitled, Now or Never. Now or Never. And the message has been developed from a question that a person asked through our study of the book Revelation. Last week, we addressed one of the questions, does the vaccine, COVID-19, identify, is it the mark of the beast? I've only got two questions from our study of the book Revelation, only two. And this is the second question that we're going to address this morning, and it's this. Can a person be saved after the rapture of the church. Have you ever been asked that question? What do you think? Now, let me say up front that I do respect and appreciate Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Many of you perhaps have read that series of books, Left Behind series. I don't know if they made a movie out of it or not, but let me just say this. While I appreciate particularly Tim LaHaye's stance on his interpretation of the Bible, However, I hope you and I will distinguish between fiction and truth because fiction has been integrated into these series to perhaps make it more interesting or applicable or relevant, but we must stick with the Scripture when it comes to understanding what truth is all about. And therefore, today, our message is going to deal with two major parts, safe 
that is now or never. What is the question today? Now or never? One, here's the first question is this. How can you know if a person will be saved after the rapture? How can you know? And then number two, not only how can you and I know if a person can be saved after the rapture, that's the question that was proposed to me, but number two is how you can know if you are saved right now. And so we're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, so please keep your Bibles handy. Lift up your Bible if you brought it today. I want to make sure you brought it. Good. And I want you to uh, get in a practice of reading your Bible, and even though I may have Scripture on the screen, it may be for those who perhaps aren't Christians that come to our church services and they may not have a Bible or maybe some watching may not have a Bible. But anyway, I hope you'll find it and note it in your Bible as we look today at this subject titled, Now or Never, Now or Never. So, number one, let's go to this first element, uh, this first question, how you can know who will be saved after the rapture? Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Revelation chapter 7. Hold them open, please, because as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at a number of Scripture verses. I love studying the Bible, and I'm so appreciative of you being here every Sunday and others who tune in. I appreciate your hunger for the Word of God. And by the way, I hope you'll tune your mind in right now and uh, find out what God is saying to us not only on this question, but even in our personal life. The book of Revelation chapter 7. Now, as we come to this text in the book of Revelation chapter 7, you'll please follow with me and summarize our journey through the book of Revelation. For example, in chapter 1, John says, Now to him that loved us and watched us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth forever and forever. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. That's Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 through 7. John gives us a description of Jesus Christ, not on the cross, not in the tomb, but risen, glorified in all of his majesty. And then in that same chapter, chapter 1, he notes uh, that uh, Jesus is the one who said, Behold, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. Hold the keys to death and hell. That's Revelation 1:18. And then the key to outlining the book of Revelation, write the things you've seen, write the things that are, and write the things which shall be hereafter. Write the things you've seen, church age. Uh, write the things that are, rather, church age. Write the things you've seen, the glorified Christ, and then write the things which shall be hereafter. Futuristic, chapter 4 through 22. We come to chapter 2 and 3, and there's a description of those seven churches, literal churches during John's day, who is exiled on the Isle of Patmos, and yet indicative of churches today. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Those seven churches we've already identified in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3. The message is uh, correction, but also commendation. He that overcomes. He that overcomes, he that overcomes, all seven of the churches, Jesus Christ commended and encouraged he that overcomes. Only two were not corrected, that of being Philadelphia and Smyrna. Now we come to chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. John is raptured up in a picture, as it were, of 
heaven. He said, a door is open. And immediately he was in the spirit and he heard the voice saying, come up hither. And I believe that to be a futuristic picture of what will take place when the church is snatched away. Now, in this heavenly scene, chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, John is saddened because he pictures God the Father on his throne with a scroll. And in that scroll are contained the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls or vials that will be poured out upon the earth in what we call the tribulation. And John further weeps. Why? Because no one is worthy to open the book and the scroll and the seals thereof. And then all of a sudden John sees one likened unto the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. He is worthy and all of heaven <laughs> rises up and says, Worthy is the lamb. God the Father gives the scroll to God the Son. And that leads us into chapter 6, the unleashing of these first seals, that of which being the white horse rider, the black horse rider, the red horse rider, and then finally the pale green horse rider uh, coming upon the earth, these judgments uh, of the Lord. And uh, that leads to chapter 7. Now you got chapter 7, stand to your feet. We're going to read verses 9 through 14. 9 through 14, here in the beginning, we find there is a number, 144,000 supernaturally sealed. Who are these? No doubt, these are the Jewish people, 12,000. Notice he said, these are out of the 12 tribes of Israel, each tribe representative. And that's the first eight verses of chapter 7. Now, we come to chapter 7, verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. If you're there, say amen. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Wow, what a beautiful scene. And cried with a loud voice. You know, that's, uh, heaven's going to be loud. <laughs> they, they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to God which sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb. And the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God. Here is a picture of heaven, what it's going to be like. Verse 12, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto God forever and ever. Amen. And the church said, Hallelujah. Verse 13, note, and one of the elders, representative of the church, I believe, in heaven, the four of the twenty elders, read back to chapter 4, and you'll derive the conclusion there. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And so one of these elders asked John, look at verse 14, And I said to him, John says, Sir, thou knowest. In other words, you know, I'm not sure, you know. And he says, and he said to me, these are they. The elder said to John, these are they, verse 14, which came out of great tribulation. The word great, mega, tribulation, thelipsis. Jesus made reference to the great tribulation. 
And these are they which came out. Let me just pause right there quickly and say the word came out is the word ekama, ekame. And the word ekame means came out, is present tense, mean they came out and they keep coming out. It's a great multitude that are coming out of the great tribulation. Remember, the question is now or never. The question is how can you know who will be saved after the rapture of the church? This will take place after the rapture of the church. Keep reading. And he said, verse 14, again, Sir, thou knowest, he said unto me, these are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The word washed there is aorist tense, meaning they have already been washed and clean and purified and justified by the blood of the Lamb. Father, again, we just want to worship you today in spirit and truth, lay aside every worldly care, all distractions, every weight and every sin that would hinder us or keep us, impede our progress, running the race, keeping our eyes on you. You know exactly where each one of our, us are at, and I'm not all I should be, Father, and I'm convinced that probably everybody here would acknowledge the same, that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, we see a troubled world, and the only hope is in you and in your grace and love and in your word and your purpose and plan. Well, Father, we pray now for again that special anointing to fall fresh upon uh, each one of us, that we would uh, see you with the eye of faith, we'd believe you with the heart of faith, and and we respond with a life of faith. Oh, God, and we're not, Lord, I thank you for this special day, and yet, Lord, I recognize I am what I am by your grace, and I recognize, Lord, that we're not promised of tomorrow. So thank you as we look back and see that you've been good. Oh, yes, you've been great. Our God, we just acknowledge your provisions, your peace, your power. We pray now for your will to be done in not only my life but in the life of your church and the life of uh, this community and in the life of those who are lost in the almost 8 billion people in the world. Give us a platform. Give us an open door. Give us a voice as they're crying out in the wilderness, Lord, that there is hope and there's good news. And I thank you for the things you put in place to make a difference in our lives. And so many, Lord, are willing to say, Here am I, Lord, as Isaiah sent me. We bless you for the mission you called us to, to go and tell and to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. I ask you for fresh cleansing and anointing. And when all said and done, I pray for some soul to come to Jesus today. And then, Lord, those that know you, that there'd be restoration, reconciliation, forgiveness, cleansing, and a new heart and a new purpose and a new vision and a new goal and a new faith and a new love for you and your word. So God, just change us, we pray, and thank you for it. We bless you, we love you, Lord, and give you glory now for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. You may be seated. The question is this, now or never? Now, number one, how can you know who will be saved after the rapture? 
Is it anybody? Is it everybody? Who will be saved after the rapture? And so this diagram describes the end time events rather than me just saying them. You can see them picturesque as to now we're living in the church age. As to the next event, I personally believe will be the coming of the Lord and the twinkling of an eye, what we call the rapture of the church. Immediately following the Antichrist confirming the covenant we talked about last week and the tribulation begins based on what Daniel's prophecy was and on Revelation chapter 6 through 18. Now, we're mainly focusing today on this tribulation and this part of our chart. So, who can be saved after the rapture of the church? I want to draw your attention to uh, the uh, three questions, if you'll write these down. I didn't write them on the uh, PowerPoint, but you can write them down. Number one is the question, how? Number two, the question, who? And number three, the question, what? You got it? One is the question, how? How can these, uh, and, and how many are these that are going to be saved? Number two, who are these that can be saved during the tribulation? And then three, what did the Lord Jesus tell us about this matter? All right, you ready? Number one is what? Number one is what? How? How many of these are going to be saved? Look at the text, and then we're going to turn to a passage. So hold your Bible right where it's at. John said this, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I beheld, lo, a great multitude. Get the picture. There's more than you can count of these coming out of the great tribulation and made their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. There's a great multitude. No man can number. All nations, kindred, and people, and tongue stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. So we all of a sudden are, have a little insight that I personally believe this is, these are Gentiles these are those who've come more than likely, and uh, there's hair-splitting opinions about exactly who this is. I personally differentiate between the Jews and uh, particularly the church. The church is going to be raptured before this event. Therefore, this will not be church per se. Why? Because God's got a plan for the church. Yes, we're going to face more and more persecution in these days. However, the tribulation was not meant for the church. The word church is not mentioned from chapter 6, for example, through chapter 18, and yet it's mentioned 25 times in the book of Revelation. Israel, however, is mentioned 30 times, 85% from chapter 6 to chapter 18. Why? Because Israel is the focus during the tribulation. And this is in the tribulation time, chapter 7. And so uh, this is uh, more than likely those uh, who will go into the tribulation and uh, Gentiles who will be saved. Now there will be Jews saved during that time. We spoke of the 144,000 as mentioned there. God has a plan for Israel. God has a plan for the church. Now, uh, not only how, but now go to question number two. Who are these that will be saved during the tribulation? Please note this because I want to uh, ask the Lord to help us to see what the Bible says, not my opinion, not your opinion, not what a book says, not what a movie says, but what does the Scripture say, all right? So, find your second question, not only how, but who. Who will be saved? Who will be saved? How can you know who's going to be saved? I'll tell you how you can know who can be saved. 
We'll see it in a minute. They cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation our God, stood upon the throne and of the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God. So who is this going to be? One of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these, or who are these, arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest, he said unto me, These are they which came out, came out, Urkamai, came out. Notice the great tribulation. And so there we have the context. These are people who are in the tribulation. These are they which have came out of the great tribulation. And notice, have washed, have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I love that. Hey, nothing else to take away sin but the blood of Jesus. Amen. In Romans chapter 5, verse 9, Paul said, being justified, much more being justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. It's very clear that God's dealing with sinful man are on the basis of the blood of his son. For example, even in the Old Testament, Leviticus 17, 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. It's this reason I put it upon the altar to make atonement for your soul. It's in the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It was God's requirement from eternity past to eternity future that his dealings and forgiveness of man's sin was based on blood, on blood. For example, it was blood of goats and heifers as depicted in the day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement described in Leviticus chapter 16. You're familiar with that. And even with Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God killed animals. Blood had to be shed. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the writer says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission, forgiveness of sin. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul said, we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. The word redemption is the word agorizai, means to purchase, to buy back, to buy back with intent of one going free. Peter also alludes to that message of the blood of Jesus in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. We're not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the Lamb without spot, without blemish. I love Revelation 1, 5. I mentioned it a moment ago. Now to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Oh, yes. And so, who are these? And uh, how many are these? Multitude. Who are these, though? Who are these? I want to answer that question right now. Who are these? Who can be saved during the tribulation? Now or never? Find your Bibles and look with me. I don't have this on the screen now. You're going to have to listen and then correspond, please. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Find that passage, write it down, and then hold your place because we're going to look at another passage, and that will be found in Romans chapter 1. So find 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Find Romans chapter 1. And this is under the heading of who can be saved after the rapture of the church. And this is under the heading of, of uh, who is it that is going to be saved. Now, I'm just going to share with you some biblical truth here. You can come to your own conclusions. In the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we looked at it last week. You remember, Paul is writing to the church of Thessalonica. Why? To reference the rapture, the second coming of Christ, yea, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Say that with me. The day of the Lord, say that with me. The day of the Lord, say that with me. All right? In chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, in 1 Thessalonians, that letter to the Thessalonica believers, 
the message is the rapture of the church, the coming of the Lord, because evidently there were people in the church who had had loved ones who passed away like we have over the last week, Marsha's mom and then uh, Brother Plaz. They were wondering would they ever see their loved ones again. Oh, yes, I would have gotten a call from my dad this morning or text message, and I thank God I'm going to see him in heaven one day. I'm looking forward to that. And Paul addresses that issue in the first epistle. By the way, three-week-old Christians, they'd only been Christians three weeks, not three years, not three months, three weeks. And he's talking about the rapture, the things we're talking about. And then he follows up on the second epistle shortly afterwards. We come to chapter 2 of this wonderful epistle. And last week, you recall, we began where Paul began that second uh, chapter. You do know these chapter headings were inserted later after the written scripture in the Greek language. At any rate, he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word coming is the word parousia. I'm in verse 1 if you're wondering. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our gathering together unto him. Remember I mentioned last week, I believe that to be a picture of the rapture of the church that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled in spirit. I want to read all the way down through verse 10 and 11. That's going to be uh, 10 through 12. But I must get the context first before we jump into verse 10, 11, and 12. Interpretation of the Bible is very important this day and time. Not to grab a verse, run with it, make your own pet theory of what I think it says or what I want it to say. Rather, keep it in its historical context, its doctrinal context, its grammatical context, and uh, its uh, historical context as well as really practical context. And so that's what we want to attempt to do, stay true to the Word of God. And I believe that's very important in this day and this time. So he says, uh, let no man deceive you. That day, I'm reading from verse 3 and 4, let no man deceive you. That day, what day? The day of the Lord. Let me go back. I beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, I gather together to him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or troubled in spirit or by word or by letter from us, that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you that day. What day? The day of Christ. The day of Christ. Hey, listen. The day of Christ is when? After the rapture of the church, during the tribulation, and also extending into the millennial reign. That's a key phrase as we study the Bible, particularly Bible prophecy, what we call eschatology, in time teaching, eschatos, in time. He said, let no man deceive you, that day shall not come, except there what? First come a what? Falling away. What is that word, falling away? We described it last week, apostasia, a falling away. Some translate that, departure. Let, and he's, notice the chronological order. First there's going to come a falling away, a departure. Now, some say politically, some say religiously, some say spiritually, some depart. Use that word as the rapture, a departure. Then, he says, let no man deceive you. That day shall not come except there first come a falling away, and then the man of sin be revealed. The Antichrist will not step on the scene until that event takes place. Then the Antichrist be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposed and exalted himself above all that is called God, so that he sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that while I was yet with you, I told you these things. Now you know, listen, now you know what withholdeth him, that he might be revealed in his time. What's he saying? He's saying there's a restraining force keeping the Antichrist from stepping on the scene. Who is this restraining force? Let no man deceive you, he said. Uh, 
that uh, that day should not come except there first come a falling away, and then the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposes it, exalts himself above all that is called God, so the sin of the temple of God, showing himself that it is God. Remember you not that while I was with you, I told you that, uh, that uh, this restraining is going to take place. But then he says, but this, know that that, that withholdeth will be withheld. That is, the Lord is going to remove the restrainer. I believe that to be the church, no doubt. The Holy Spirit of God bursts us in the body of Christ. And that's one of the roles of what we call pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit to birth us, to seal us, to indwell us, to fill us, to baptize us in the body of Christ, that role of the Holy Spirit, pneumatology. And yet the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Therefore, listen to me, the Holy Spirit will not be taken away from the earth. The church will be taken out, and that will open the door for the Antichrist to move on the scene. Listen, verse 7. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. The mystery, the word mystery is mysterion. The mystery of lawlessness. I don't have to tell you about the lawlessness that's going on in America and in our world. The mystery of iniquity, lawlessness, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only now he who let will let until it be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming's after the working of Satan, as called the Antichrist, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Hear me, with all power and signs and lying wonders. Be careful, this day and time. He said, with all power and signs and lying wonders. And then he says in verse 10, because they receive not the love of the truth. Please note that. That's what I want to speak on right now. Because they received not the love of the truth. Who's Paul talking about? He's talking about people. Because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause shall God send them a strong delusion. A strong delusion. Let's say that together. A strong delusion. One more time. What does that mean? How do you interpret that? I've camp right there at that little phrase. Listen to me, beloved. I think we're living in days of strong delusion. Wouldn't you agree? The word means a working error. The word means to confuse their reasoning. For this cause, not the devil. Y'all look up here. Paul is not saying the devil's going to send them a strong delusion. Paul is saying God is going to send them a strong working error. A strong inability to reason out the truth here's the deal when you reject the truth of God over and over again you become open to the lies of the devil that's what God's saying I would not know this having I read it in my Bible I'd say why in the world God will send them a strong delusion that they might believe a lie how in the world people believe in a lie these days God said he's going to send the strong delusion because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause shall God send them a working error, a confusing of their reasoning. You know anybody that's confused? Do you know anybody that can't know the truth from error? You, are you staying mixed up these days? Why, you can't tell if they're telling the truth or they're telling the truth. 
Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And the truth shall set you free. That's John chapter 8, verse 32. That's John chapter 14 and verse 6. And believe not every spirit, but test the spirit. See whether they be God or not. First John 4 and 1. Because every spirit in this whole world is not that of Jesus Christ, but it's the Antichrist. God says, because they received not the love of the truth, I'm going back to verse 10, because they reject the truth, this cause God will send them an inability to understand the truth. Does that make sense? Amen, somebody. That's where we're at right now as a culture. Yes, but there's going to be more so in the end time. He'll send them a strong delusion. They might believe a lie, a flat-out lie. Why? Because they refused, they uh, received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. This call shall God send them a strong delusion they might believe a lie that they might all be damned because they received not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Can I put it this way? Y'all wonder, y'all listen, y'all wonder why people don't flock in the church today. Don't you wonder that? Don't you wonder why people aren't just packing out the churches today? Can I tell you why? Because people love darkness more than do light. They don't want to be under the truth of God. When you're living in sin, living and obeying toward God, the last place you want to be is where you're going to be corrected because of your lifestyle. Talk to me, somebody. And maybe some of you today, you're just here, but you're not here. You know what I mean? You come, show up, but your heart's far from God. I would not want to go to church if my heart's not right with God and hear some preacher or hear the Bible tell me I need to change my ways. I say, forget that. The Bible, Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And we wonder, well, why didn't they come back? Or why aren't they here today? Because it's hard to sit under the unadulterated Word of God because it's quick and powerful and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts me, it cuts you. But a person who's lost, they can say, forget it, I don't have to take this. And thus they live in darkness. And God said, so... He confuses their reasoning. Can I say a couple of things, and then I'll move on because I want to get to Romans 1. How in the world can anybody justify killing a baby? I'd say that was a delusion, wouldn't you? I can't hear you, church. Y'all look at me like I don't know. But wait a minute. I want to go the flip side of that, too. How could anybody may be dogmatic about that, but then uh, how can anybody uh, say that you know, uh, I believe the Bible and all that, but then uh, I may not be doing that, but I'm rebelling against God and living in sin and living a lifestyle that's not pleasing to God. I'd say that's just as delusional as somebody believing the other. We don't want to hear that down here in, you know, south. Uh, uh, we want to think that everybody else is lost and heathens, but really truth be known, we got a bunch of heathens living around us that reject the truth of God now, they, they'll be real adamant about certain moral issues, but look at the lifestyle. It's just a delusion to think you're going to heaven when you're living like the devil. I can't hear you. Oh, yeah. So I knew you don't want to hear that, but that's the truth, brother. That's the truth. Now, take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. We're still talking about who's going to be saved. Look at Romans chapter 1. And by the way, the Lord is going to tell us about all that. Romans chapter 1. Notice in chapter 1, this is Paul's letter to the church of Rome comprised of both Jews and Gentiles. And evidently, after the day of Pentecost, this wonderful church was established. You well recognize this particular letter is full of doctrine. Chapter 1, 2, and 3, condemnation is the theme. 4 and 5, justification. 6, 7, and 8, uh, 
Sanctification, 9 through 11. Election, and 12 through 16. Dedication. Now, here in chapter 1, now, remember now, now or never, who can be saved after the rapture of the church? We're still on that subject. We talked about how many? We're now talking about who can be saved. Listen to me. There are people every once in a while say this, Pastor, preacher, you mean to tell me what if a person lives in the remotest jungles of Africa and they don't even have Bibles down there? They've never heard a preacher. They don't have radio. They don't have television. You mean God is going to send somebody to hell if they, uh, if they don't have a Bible? Paul builds this case in chapter 1 and 2 of Romans and says, listen this, in case you all forget it or in case you miss it, man is without excuse. There is a God and God's going to hold every single individual accountable to the light they have, regardless of where they're at. I don't have time to go into all of it, but I'll simply allude to a couple of passages, okay? And so uh, Paul says, like a lawyer, a prosecuting attorney who builds a case, and here's his evidence. There are two evidences that show man is sentenced to be guilty before a holy God, whether he has a Bible or not, whether he lives in America or not, whether he has heard the gospel or not. Well, how can you do that, Paul? That don't seem fair. God's fair, isn't he? Yes, he is. One, in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. You know what that means? It means they suppress the truth. It's the same scenario that Paul alluded to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They hear the truth, but they suppress the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. I don't really care to hear what you got to say. They suppress the truth. Now listen, he said for the creation of the world, uh, for the creation of the world, clearly he said men who hold the truth in unrighteousness for the invisible things of the creation of the world. Listen, witness number one, creation, the invisible things, the invisible things of the creation of the world. What's he talking about? He's talking about man can look up and see there's a sun in the sky. There's stars that beam at the night. There are God's creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament show this handiwork from day to day, thou art speech, from night to night. Thy showeth knowledge, Psalm 19, 1 and 2. The psalm, psalm that's talked about the revelation of creation, the revelation of God's revelation, and then the Christian meditation. But anyway, so he said, for the invisible things are clearly seen. From the creation of the world, even his eternal power and Godhead. So they're without excuse. Are you reading that in your Bible? Are you reading that in your Bible? So they're without excuse. Watch this. For when they knew God, had they know God, they looked around and could see creation. They might not have a Bible. They might not have heard a preacher on the radio. They might not have a television. They can look around and see this got here somehow. There's some kind of supreme being. For when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither indeed were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became as fools, and that word fool is moron. Changing the truth of God into a lie, and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. I'm saying this. 
One, creation is Paul's witness on the stand that every single human being stands accountable to a holy God. And all the world is guilty before God. We've all sinned and short, fallen short of the glory of God. And so he's saying this. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. It's not that they didn't believe in God. I talked with a man, young man, not long ago. It's been a while back. He asked me this question. I said, do you believe in God? Nope. I said, how do you think this got here? I pointed to the sun. I pointed to the stars. Uh, would come out at night in the trees. I said, where do you think all this got? He said, I believe science. And people have bought into the lies of the devil that man's his own God. Evolution is the process of mutation and radiation that leads from a slime amoeba to paramecium and sophisticated man. Ultimately, evolution, humanism. It's humanism which teaches and leads to man being his own God. It don't matter if you say there's no God or not. There's still God. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The fool has said in his heart. The problem with the heart is the heart of the problem. You get the heart right, the head will come. Look, and so God's saying not only creation, but in chapter 2, he says conscience. Chapter 2, verse 14, 15. He said in every single human, God has given them a conscience to know right from wrong. This is the witness Paul is saying man stands before a God and must give an account regardless. So, the question is this. Who can be saved? If they reject the truth, here's the downward trend. Note this in Romans 1. Number one is revelation. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Revelation. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Suppress it. In other words, first, revelation. Secondly, creation. For the invisible things of the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. So there without excuse. The second witness is not only revelation, creation, but then rejection. Because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. Rejection. Men say, I know the Bible says this, preacher. I know you're preaching it. And they may not say it out loud, but ultimately in their heart, they say no to God. Creation. Revelation. Rejection. That leads to abandonment. To rationalization. Because they received not the love of the truth and and because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither indeed were thankful, but became vain in their imagination. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became as fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible men and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God gave them over to uncleanness. They might dishonor the bodies between themselves having changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who's blessed forever, I'd say we're right there as a culture. Who can be saved during the tribulation? In case you're wondering, I think it's a dangerous thing to say no to God right now. Now or never. People put it off. People think they can get saved when they want to get saved. You can't get saved unless the Holy Spirit of God's drawing you. And there's good indication if you're listening right now, you might not have tomorrow. You might send away your day of grace. You might, uh, you might be taken out in death. 
There's no promise of tomorrow. Boast not of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You've got loved ones. You've got family. And many of them, they're deceived. They're misled. They've got a form of godliness. They're playing religion. But the lifestyle indicates, as we'll see in a moment, the true proof. So, who can be saved? Many believe only those who've never heard the gospel. Even there, they're without excuse. But I really question I'll be honest with you. Can I just put it this way? I wouldn't put it off if I was you. I wouldn't take a chance if I was you. Why wait until it's too late? It's a dangerous thing. Now's the day of salvation. Today is accepted time. All right. So who can be saved after the rapture? We've talked about it. Number two, how can you know that you're saved right now? And then we talked about who can be saved after the rapture. Secondly, how can you know you're saved right now? And that is found in these passages of Scripture. And I want to give you four words. Here they are. Number one, a new creation. Number two, a new correction. Number three, a new confirmation. And number four, a new communication. Let me say them again, okay? Number one, a new creation. Number two, a new correction. Number three, a new confirmation. And number four, a new communication. Those are the words God gave me, and I'll describe under the heading of what the, the, they mean. Number one, a new creation. A new creation. Two, a new correction. Three, a new confirmation. Four, a new communication. Number one, what do I mean by new creation? How do you know you're saved right now? Do you know that you're saved right now? Are you sure you're saved right now? How do you know that you're saved right now? There's a lot like me. They're lost church members. I, uh, as a 13-year-old young man, Heard the gospel, going to hell, knew I didn't want to go there and was baptized, but I was not changed. I didn't repent of my sin. No, and I lived like the devil afterwards. I was playing games with God more or less, even though I was coming to church, maybe like some today. Some are listening right now. And there was no uh, real creation, new creation, new creation. Notice, notice what I mean by new creation, 2 Corinthians Chapter 5, notice I'm giving you the Bible, not my opinion. We're looking at the Bible. We're looking at Scripture. We're seeing what the Scripture teaches about this matter, not about what you think and I think. Notice Paul said in this second letter to the Corinthians, he said that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and that we may receive what we've done to the body, whether it be good or bad. He's writing to Christians. And then he said, the love of Christ constraineth us. That's verse 14 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The love of Christ. He's talking to Christians. Do you have a love for God? Do you have a love for the things of God? Is God on the back burner? Maybe you're backslidden. Maybe you're cold and indifferent. But you can come to the Lord today and confess it. God, give us grace to, verse 14, the love of Christ constraineth us because we thus judge. If one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should no longer live henceforth for themselves, but for him who died for them. And Paul's making it clear the Lord doesn't just save us to take us to heaven. He wants us to live for Him. He wants to live in us. Are you living for the Lord? Are you serving the Lord? Are you shining the light? Are you sharing the good news? That's the purpose. God saves us, forgives our sin, not just to take us to heaven, but give us a little heaven here on earth. And then He comes down to this text, not only a brand new love with a brand new motivation, the love of Christ constrained us. Number two, a brand new Lord with a brand new transformation. Watch this. Look up here. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. 
If you hadn't been changed after you've been saved, you need to check up and see if you're really saved. There's going to be a change, brother. There's going to be a change, sister, according to the Bible. Doesn't mean perfection, but it means this. God gives us a propensity to please Him. And when we're not pleasing Him, there's a void, there's an emptiness, there's a pricking of the Holy Spirit. If that's not in your life, you need to check up and say, am I really saved? Have I just gone through the motions? Yes, don't wait till it's too late. Now or never. If any man old things passed away, behold, all things have become new. We're ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you, we pray thee for Christ to be reconciled to God. Tell me, has there been that defining moment in your life? Some of you today, you don't know for certain if you died, you go to heaven. And today God is saying to you, if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. There's no secret disciples. No, don't be ashamed of the gospel. And if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Number two, not only a new creation. How do you know that you're saved today? There's going to be a new manager, a new owner. I'm glad to tell you God changes our want-tos. We water down the gospel. We water down the New Testament Christian life to, to, to be worldly and carnal. No, no, no. We come to the Bible and see that these truths are still in the Scripture and the Holy Spirit it still wants us to know them. Number two, correction. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, how do I know I'm saved? Number one, there's been a change in my life. Has there been a change in your life? No, I'm not what I ought to be, but I thank God I'm not what I used to be. By the way, I could sit here and say, but look what I've done. God says it's not what you've done. Look what I've done. And look where I've been. It's not where you've been. It's where you're going. Jesus said this. I'm going to go back to that first point. What? How do we know who's going to be saved after the rapture? Jesus said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father in heaven. He said, many will say unto that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied on thy name, and thy name cast out demons, and thy name done many wonderful works. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, that Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus will reply to that crowd, depart from me, I never knew you, ye that work iniquity. Well, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things I say do? Who is your master? Who are you obeying? And then Jesus tells about this rich young ruler that comes to him and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Mark chapter 10. He said, Keep the commandments, five of them. And the young man said, I've done all of them. Jesus said, One thing you lack, go sell what you possess and come, take up a cross and follow me. The young rich ruler According to Mark's gospel, went away sad. What went to repent? Jesus, Jesus Christ didn't say, wait a minute, plan B. He let him go. Why? He loved us gold more than he loved God. Are there any idols in our life? Jesus, oh yes, I'm just telling what the Lord said. We got to get this thing right. If we miss this right, we miss this rather, we, we will miss eternity. We'll miss heaven. And now, how can you know you're saved right now? Because of the correction, notice what the writer said. Have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as his children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. What's that word chastening mean? Nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. I know that I'm a child of God because when I sin, when I disobey God, when I take my eyes off Jesus, there is a conviction, there is a pricking of the Holy Spirit. That's not right. And then I'm separated from fellowship with God. And it's a miserable state like Adam who ran and tied fig leaves around him and Eve. 
running from God. Maybe some of you today are running from God. I don't know, maybe some of you, good news, you can run to God. Yes, you can. The Lord, the word chasing is the word discipline. It's instruction. It's correction. And I know that I'm a child of God because in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he disciplines, and he scourges, he whips, he disciplines, he lovingly corrects, and he lovingly instructs every son whom he receives. This word in Hebrews 12 lets us know that if you're without chastisement, if you can get by living in sin, you can get by rebelling against God, you can read the rest of the chapter. I don't have time right now. Reach Hebrews 12, verse 7, 8, and 9. And the writer says, if you're without chastisement, you're a bastard, not a son. That's the King James Bible, okay? The other translation says illegitimate children. Here's the bottom line. My children were growing up, bless God, I loved them, and I wanted a correction. I wanted to keep them from harm. I didn't spite my neighbor's children, but bless the Lord, my own, I did, all right? My dad the same way. Never forget one time my sister and I were on the trampoline and uh, just playing, and she bounced off and got hurt and went running inside crying. My dad was at the door. All he could see was her crying, running in, know that we was on the trampoline. And, boy, I couldn't even get out a word, and he put the... Board of Education on the Seat of Understanding, okay? I learned my lesson no more on the trampoline anymore. Why? Because I was a son. And the likewise, my Heavenly Father loves me and He loves you. Are you without chastisement? Can you get by with saying no to God and rebelling against God? If so, Paul, uh, the writer, and I believe Paul, said you're not a child of God. At the moment, no discipline seems to be joyful, but it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Question question do you have a new creation uh, are, are you uh, have you got a new correction now here right here number three a new confirmation how do I know I'm saved how do you know you're saved right here Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 that's the great chapter chapter 8 starts with no condemnation ends with uh, no separation and in between is plenty of liberation and in that middle of that eighth chapter of the book of Romans in chapter 8, verse 13, if we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if we through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, we shall live. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And then if sons, then heirs. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we're children of God. How do I know I'm saved? The Holy Spirit of God bears witness. I'll never forget after the Lord first saved me, 1982, I wondered if I was saved. I felt like I had to work for it. I felt like I had to earn it. I was so self-dependent, so self-sufficient. It was hard for me to receive grace. And maybe there's somebody you today. It's hard for you to receive the gift of God, God's unspeakable gift, 2 Corinthians 9 and 15. Yes, as many as received him, to them gave me power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. The Spirit is the Spirit of God bearing witness with your spirit, your children of God. And then last but not least, number four, is not only that new creation and new correction and new confirmation, but notice a new communication. This is powerful right here. This is powerful. I can tell I'm a child of God versus a child of the devil. John makes it clear, 1 John chapter 3, he that committeth, and this word is present tense, keeps on committing living habitually in sin is of the devil. I didn't say it, God did. For the devil sinned from the beginning. This is the purpose the Son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hallelujah. So 
This is not talking about slipping and falling. This is talking about living habitually in sin. And by the way, look at verse number 9. Now, I know you don't hear a lot of preaching like this this day, do you? It's sugar-coated. People get mad, upset. So be it. We got to stick with the Word of God. Let God be true and every man a liar. And if you need to repent and I need to repent, we need to do it today. And if we really need to get saved, we need to do it today. Why? Now or never. Notice what 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, the next verse. And I'm reading this from the Bible. Check it out in your Bible. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit. And this is present tense, verb. Go on committing, living habitually. He does not commit sin. Why? Because his seed, the word seed is sperma. It's the Greek word that means the life of God is in us. His seed, God's seed is in us. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. It means this, if he does, the Lord's going to take us to the woodshed. That's what it means. I'm glad that's a proof that I'm a child of God. I know this day we've so compromised the Word of God this day, and it's what, who thinks this and that. But I'll tell you what, the Word of God says this. This is how you can tell the children of God versus the children of the devil. And this, this is the next verse, 1 John chapter 3, read verse 6 through 10. This is the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. God makes it crystal clear. I don't know how to say it any clearer, now or never. Now or never. Oh, listen, beloved. Make your calling. <laughs> I mean, you need to know that you know that you know. When did it happen? When did it happen? Do you absolutely know? Maybe there's some of you that are wrestling over the assurance of being saved. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means the things that we've mentioned. Maybe you know somebody today that's not ready to meet God, and maybe they've rejected the truth, and you can reach out again to them before it's too late. Maybe they've bought into a delusion. Shine the light, that's all you can do. What does this mean? It means this. It means we're to shine the light. It means we're to serve the Lord. It means we're to share the gospel, the good news. I wonder today if you'd stand to your feet as we close, asking God. Now listen, maybe you know that you're saved today, but like my old car, a deer ran in the side of it last Friday night, and sometimes we have to get things repaired. It's in the shop right now. They're putting on a new part. They're repairing it. Sometimes with our relationship with God, things got to get repaired. And so if you're a child of God, maybe some attitude or some things come in your life that you really need to get right with God. Otherwise, you're playing games and we're just going through the motions. Oh, God, so what is it you need to do right now? Pray for somebody that's not saved. Pray for your own salvation and cry out to Jesus to save you before it's too late. I don't need another way to say it. Or maybe today you have got something between you and the Lord and you need to get it right. Do it right now, would you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, your word is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts, it pierces, it reveals, it turns the light on in this wicked and perverse generation and culture. This, our Lord, you said we're to be in the world but not of the world. God, bring us back to our first love right now. I pray many will cry out, many will be saved, many, Lord, will hear the truth and you'll, con Lord, convict and convert and quicken your word. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I know I'm not worthy. I know I'm nothing. But, Lord, I bless you for your goodness and grace. Help us, Lord, not to receive the lies of the enemy, 
God, keep us from deception. Keep us from delusion. Keep us, Father, from being mixed up and confused, double-minded. Oh, God, I thank you for victory in the name of Jesus.